Hello and welcome to this episode of Your Best Self podcast. So I am thrilled to have the lovely Angie McDonald on the podcast today. Um, and actually, coincidentally, it's also Mental Health Awareness Week, which is um, great to have to have you on. And we're going to release this uh, this week. Um, so how are you? Hey, I'm good, thanks. Thanks for having me. And yeah, it was good timing with Mental Health Awareness Week. So It was so yeah. Um, so probably we're talking about mental health and we've not actually properly introduced you. So oh. <laughs> um, why don't you just give us a little brief introduction to yourself, like what you do, like where you work, um, like what services you provide. Um, yeah, let us know a bit about you. Yeah, sure. So um, my name's Angie. I am an accredited CBT therapist. So that's cognitive behavioural therapy, but I'm sure we'll come on to that. Um, I am also a registered mental health nurse um, and I currently work in academia um, as well. So um, prior to going to kind of full-time lecturing, um, I specialise in children and young people's mental health. So I worked uh, within the NHS and community services um, and I also worked within a secondary school for, for, a, for a couple of years and things. So a lot of background, probably about eight years or something like that, working with children's mental health specifically. Um, but now, since I'm full-time lecturing, I, I do some CBT work on the side. So I do that through Aristos um, and I, I offer kind of to see all ages. So I still offer to see children, young people, but I'm kind of doing a lot more work with adults now um, that I've kind of moved into into private work. Um, and yeah, I see, see people who are struggling with their mental health um, for all sorts of reasons, lots of different difficulties. Um people mostly kind of anxiety and, and, and depression are probably the most common difficulties people come with but tend to see other things people with trauma people with OCD uh, eating disorders um, lots and lots of different different things so it's a really interesting uh, area to work in I definitely like the variety <laughs> I was going to say like that sounds like you would get a lot of variety across the day Yes, definitely. Even kind of within anxiety itself, you get lots of different presentations. You get people who a lot of socially anxious people who are kind of struggling, um, you know, kind of socially within different situations. Get kind of health anxiety, so people who really worry that there's something kind of severely wrong with their health. Um, also like phobias, so people who maybe have a specific phobia about something. So. Yeah, lots of different things, which is kind of the bit I enjoy most. It always keeps you on your toes. <laughs> yeah, like what's what's somebody going to be talking about today? Um, and do people like self refer to you then, or do they come via like their GP? So since I've uh, moved to doing uh, the work at Arisos, people people tend to self refer. Um, so the, there's links on on the website to be able to self refer. I also offer kind of free discovery calls. So if people wanted to just phone up uh, and to kind of chat it through with me, because it can be really quite daunting uh, coming to to see somebody about your mental health. There's definitely still a stigma around about that. So I think it kind of helps once you get to chat. Uh, to the person you're going to be seeing and to see if I think actually it's helpful for you if it's the right thing to do yeah I guess it's like because it like you we were just talk, talking about this before we, we started yeah. recording about the stigma around mental health um like I do think like it's getting a little bit better I think people are more open to talking yeah. but it is such a 
like a personal thing as well and it's like you want to have a like you want to build a relationship with that person don't you and, and be able to trust them because I mean you're going to be talking about a lot of stuff that's like people are going to feel uncomfortable with like yeah. but it's about kind of moving through it um so yeah I think like having the discovery calls and things is like it's such a good way like just to get to know you a little bit better and just to see if you're the right the right fit as well yeah and that's really important not everyone is the right fit and it's all right to not get along with your therapist you know you you have the right to choose your therapist um and I think that's when I when I teach I, I can always stress to the students that you know, you can be the best CBT therapist in the world, but if you're not good at building relationships with people, it, it's not going to be any good to anybody. Like the therapeutic relationship is 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 key to mm-hmm. you know doing good work together. So yeah. yeah, it's definitely really important. I suppose it's the same with like coaching as well, isn't it? Like, because you could be the best coach in the world, um, but you're not going to be the best coach for somebody, you know, like, because it is about a pe- like personalities and, and gelling and being able to be open and honest. Like, that's a big thing, isn't it? Like, um, that's what I always said. You know, we, in the position I'm in, I am hearing about people's, you know, kind of things they've maybe never spoken with anybody about before. So it's really, really important. We expect a lot from people when they come to therapy, you know, to just talk to a stranger and tell us all your deepest, darkest uh, kind of secrets really and um, you know it, it's about recognising that it does take time to build that and that that's okay you don't need to come first session and, and tell tell us everything you know it's really understandable that it's going to take a wee bit of time to kind of maybe things will kind of drip through as, as sessions go on and things like that as well yeah like, I'm I'm so excited to, <laughs> to have you on this podcast because like when I first started my own like fitness journey like in learning about nutrition and exercise like I naively kind of thought it would just be the case of giving people calories or giving them like a rough meal structure and like they would just do it yeah but what I found is that like a lot of the changes and things that people make like they rarely have anything to do with nutrition or exercise and everything to do with the person's thoughts their beliefs like their mindset and that for me was like a huge wake-up call because I was like this is much 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 more than just nutrition and workouts like there is this whole other area that to be honest a lot of like so I've done two nutrition courses one of them didn't go into the behavior change and like applicable uh, nutrition and making these changes in a lot of detail the other one has done like and I'm still part of like the graduate program and stuff because it just is so the the they talk a lot more about that side of things and actually that side of things tends to be where the the majority of the coaching is um so it really it totally fascinates me um so I'm so excited to like pick your brains and get expertise on this topic um so maybe we just kind of start like right back at the beginning like what is CBT and like who can benefit from it yeah sure so CBT, can I say, it stands for Cognitive Behavioural Therapy, which sounds really fancy, but it isn't really when we we break it down. Um, But CBT is a a leading talking therapy. It's um, an evidence-based intervention for mostly of common mental health difficulties. So like I mentioned before, anxiety, depression, OCD, trauma, eating disorders, it's used in. It's also used in even more kind of severe mental health 
difficulties like psychosis and things. So it's it's used throughout the board really in terms of uh, an intervention for for mental health. Um, I said there, yeah, it's pretty simple really. It's a simple concept that your thoughts, your feelings and your behaviours, they're all interconnected. And if we can make changes in one or more of those areas, then it can affect change across the full cycle. So that's really the kind of premise of CBT is, is bringing all of that together. And and what we kind of, we go on is that when people are struggling with their, their kind of mood, they fall into kind of patterns of thinking and responding that are kind of worse than how we feel, kind of unintentionally worse than how we feel. So it, CBT helps us to notice and make change to our thinking patterns and, and our behavioural responses so that we can we can feel a bit better. So that's kind of it in a nutshell. And um, it's a very collaborative therapy. So I was talking there about the relationship with the client that you're working with. It's so important because it's it's not about, you know, coming in and the therapist fixing you. It's about, you know, I'm the expert in CBT, but you're the expert in your own experience. So we need to work together here. Mm-hmm. And the kind of idea is that as time goes on, you're enabling the client to become their own therapist so that they, when we when we finish, they're you know, able to go and apply these skills and strategies to their own life. Um, so who does it work for? It works for, like I said, lots of those different uh, conditions, but it's also um, helpful for both children and young people, adults, older adults. So it kind of applies a- across the board, I guess, if I'm working with younger people. To be fair, I do the same with uh, adults too, and I feel like, look at me like I'm <laughs> mad but um, making it very creative using lots of metaphors making it a bit silly because it's memorable so um, yeah. when you're working with kids you just kind of adapt it uh, slightly but actually I find that that's also a helpful approach no matter what age you're, you're working with it really does help people make sense of things um, I guess CBT you'll find that there will be self-help stuff online you can do a kind of online introduction to CBT you can come and see somebody like myself uh, as a CBT therapist and do one-to-one stuff, but you can also do group approaches. So um, there will be kind of group offers, whether that's through the NHS or, or I kind of spoke to you earlier about offering kind of group work. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess as well, people can use it. You know, I, t- I tend to be in favour of therapy before kind of medication. I think it should always be a first line of treatment. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does also kind of go alongside if if somebody was kind of uh, seeking any kind of medication for 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 their mental health, we can be used kind of in combination with with that. Um, and I tend kind of to see people weekly, fortnightly, kind of between typically between five and twenty sessions, some something like that. But it can really it really depends on the person and their personal circumstances, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's um so interesting. It's like I love how it's like everything's intertwined, but work so I take it like working on one thing, whether it's like your thoughts or your behaviours, like it snowballs into like other areas then. Yes, definitely, yeah. So we tend to kind of so initially it would be kind of introducing the the client to the model of CBT. So kind of working through an example, looking at your thoughts, your feelings, and, and not only just the emotion, but the physiological effects that come with an emotion. So we don't just feel 
anxious, we get lots of physical symptoms, whether that be, you know, your heart's racing, you're sweating, your um kind of your breathing changes, all these different things. Um and then the behaviour. So we look at you know, how the person uh, attempts to cope in in that situation. And depending on how you think is going to affect how you then feel and what you do. And I guess what we, we tend to kind of everybody knows how they feel. Like it's dead easy, you know, I'm having a rubbish day or you know, I feel I feel good today, I feel really sad, anxious, whatever. But we don't tend to kind of recognise that that kind of is, is preceded by a thought. There, there'll be something, our perception, our interpretation of a situation that kind of leads to a particular feeling, which is then going to influence how we choose to cope with it, if that makes sense. Yeah. It, so you recommended a book to me. It was CBT for, CBT for Dummies, yeah. um, which was it's great. Like, I, I'm going to be completely honest, like, I'm, I'm only at the start of it. Um, but there was one bit in particular, and it was talking about um like a certain situation um and there was like it was like the page was full of different interpretations yeah depending on the person of how they would they have interpreted this one situation and for me I was like wow because I was reading it in this situation and I was start I was like thinking like how would I react to that situation I can't even remember what the example was but but it's just like take it from a like a nutrition exercise point of view and something like a lot of my clients would um like sometimes struggle with and that would be like eating a certain type of food that they've maybe labeled bad so if I, I would be like oh I've, I've eaten like chocolate and for me that maybe that would be um the thoughts and the feelings that I would have with that would be like oh I'm a really bad person I feel really guilty I then want to overeat whereas somebody else would be like I've eaten chocolate that was delicious yeah. somebody else would be like I've eaten chocolate because I'm really sad like or I've eaten chocolate and it, it sparks another memory of something else. Like that's the thing that like really fascinated fascinated me. It was like this that one situation can mean something completely different for like so like for everybody. Uh huh. And that that is that is good because that's what I was hoping we could maybe look at as well or as an example like that. Um, and it's really really interesting so if you take that example of like um you know you you've encouraged a client to you know enjoy themselves to allow themselves to have chocolate so the situation would be you know um you know sit and watch the film for the night decided to have a bar of chocolate what we would then do is you know how how did you feel in that situation and, and some like you said somebody might feel you know really guilty really anxious for doing that so then it would be thinking about oh that's really interesting so what was going through your mind at the time when you were doing that and like you said it might be you know oh it might kind of take you down a really but like I'm you know I'm disgusted I shouldn't be doing this I'm a failure I can't stick to anything that kind of thinking so if somebody thinks like that no wonder they feel that way and if you're thinking like that and you're feeling pretty rubbish you know how is that likely to impact on on your behavior so we tend to have people who you know might then think oh well bugger it I've, I've I've done that now I might as well just eat the full bar or um or you know there's absolutely no point in this and they maybe just give up on all their routines and and then that's kind of a vicious cycle whereas if you're the same situation you're sitting down at night that um you know bar of chocolate while watching the film and you think to yourself you know, I deserve this. I've been really good this week. You know, um, Heather said, you know, I need to do this as part of the plan. 
And how do you think that would change how they then feel? Mm-hmm. And then, yeah. you know, if, if that changes the feeling, you're feeling maybe, you know, a bit kind of more happy, proud of yourself, what might that then do in terms of how they respond in that situation? And then all of a sudden we've got a totally different cycle. It's the same situation, but the thing that made the difference was how we perceived it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is really kind of key for people. And, and that perception, um, we all are drawn to different kind of habits around about that. Um, and a lot of that tends to come from our early life experiences um, because they teach us how to make sense of the world, how to make sense of ourselves and other people. So we then kind of develop this kind of map or this kind of way of navigating the world or how we talk to ourselves or how or how we kind of fall into these patterns of thinking. Um, quite often I'll describe it as like if you had that kind of negative lens on your glasses, you see the world through that. Mm-hmm. Um, and if that's negative, you know, that's all you see. You don't count, you discount everything else that's going on and you just kind of really focus, focus on that. That's it's so interesting. And see, whenever I hear that, it's like it's like your early experiences, like shaping the world. Like I get that automatic, like gut wrenching feeling because I'm like, oh my god, like because I've got two kids and I'm like, yeah. I am shaping their world. <laughs> like, oh my gosh, what do I need to do? Um, but I think it's like it's so it's it's so so interesting. Um, like just about it's it's your perception, and I guess like that can that's like very empowering but also very scary for people because you could be like well you you do have the control to change these behaviors but for somebody who's been doing like a certain behavior for their full life like that can be quite overwhelming I I suppose like for me I would be thinking like that maybe that's quite overwhelming that I have control of changing that feeling or that thought but I just don't know if I can or how to do it like and that's a really important part of therapy is instilling hope in people that that is very much possible. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, yes, it's going to be it's going to be hard work. And, and in CBT, there's a lot of kind of practice tasks outside of session because it does it does take hard work and it does take change. So if you've thought in a particular way for a really long period of time, that's your automatic go to. Quite often I'll describe it as like, you know, if you think about your brain, you've got the motor rage, you know, you're always going to take that road. It's quicker, there's, there's no obstacles, you know, you're going to get there faster. But what we're trying to do in therapy is kind of build that side road, that wee back road. And at first it's pretty narrow and rough and you're not going to want to take it because it's hard. But, you know, the more and more we use that, the better and easier it's going to get to do it. So it does take a lot of, first of all, you know, self-awareness, self-monitoring, identifying, mm-hmm. thinking. Um, that, that that comes along with feelings and behaviours. And once you start to pick up on particular patterns of thinking, we can then, you know, identify it quicker and we then move on to challenging it and learning how to how to change our, our thinking. And we learn about how we can become quite selective in our attention. So kind of if you imagine um if you think about going to see a performance at a theatre, you know, you've got the, the light shining down on that one singer or performer, but there's loads of other people on the stage. So it's about, you know, our mind sometimes will fixate on, you know, what feels good for us. So if you're a negative uh, thinker, you know, you're going to automatically go to that. But actually, we need to expand that and see, well, what, 
what else is going on? What would maybe say that that's not a hundred percent accurate that that thought that you've had? Um, and it's about taking it all into account and then coming up with a, a balanced or rational alternative, not just that, not a wonderful positive thing, because a po- changing a negative to a positive doesn't make a difference. <laughs> really, it, it's, it can sometimes be just as unhelpful as just thinking negatively. It's about let's look at all of the evidence and, you know, and, and, and taking all of that in, how can we then think about that situation now from, you know, it's it's absolutely pointless, I'm never going to make a difference to, you know, well, this is actually quite hard, but I've done okay so far. I've made these changes and I, I know if I just keep going at this rate, I'm going to get somewhere. So it's not from it's a disaster till it's going to be wonderful. It's, you know, what's a kind of balanced, rational alternative to that? That actually leads me really nicely because one of the things that um, a lot of um, clients struggle with is when it comes to making changes as like the all or nothing, like kind of perfectionist mindset, which sounds like what you were just explaining there. Like, um, so can you tell us maybe a little bit more about like these certain like ways of thinking, like perfectionists are all or nothing. I kind of think they're kind of the same thing, but maybe you're going to be telling me that they're completely well, different. Well, there's definitely a lot of kind of crossover between kind of how we label some of these things. So that would be kind of part of therapy. So we would have a session where we were focused just really solely on the cognitive domain, so the thought domain, and we'd be learning about different types of thought. And I would have asked people to maybe fill in a, a wee thought diary, kind of, and they bring that with them when we have a wee look at that and, and see what comes up in it. And what we tend to look at is, is I'll introduce them to different, what we call unhelpful thinking styles or cognitive biases, anything like that. Um, but they're really kind of patterns of thinking that we're all kind of um, commonly fall into. And, and like you said, so there's um, all or nothing thinking, black or white, whatever you want to call it, where it's, you know, everything's either great or rubbish. Um, there's no grey, there's no in, in between. Um, another really common uh, thinking style for, for a lot of the people I see is catastrophizing. So mm-hmm. the worst possible thing that's going to happen is, is the thing they jump to, um, which again is kind of similar to jumping to conclusions. Um, we also see kind of things like should and must. So people have really kind of uh, overestimated kind of expectations of themselves I should have done this or I must do that so which is kind of really negative um other kinds of things we see are um mind reading or predicting the future so I'll get a lot of people that tell me they know exactly what you were thinking about them (laughs) (laughs) Um, or you know they know exactly what's going to happen if they go and do that so it's just about you know predicting and mind reading and these kind of things can get us um like I, I was saying, you know, however you think is going to have a great impact on how you feel. So if you're going to go to something new and you're just thinking, oh, um, it's, you know, it's going to be rubbish or I'm going to totally mess this up and I'm going to make a fool of myself, then you're not going to be very likely to go. You're going to, not going to feel very good about it and you're, you're not, it's going to impact on, you know, your, your behaviourally. And then the, the more we avoid and, uh, or, you know, not do, the more we kind of get that urge to avoid. What happens to our thinking? It just stays the same. Do you know, nothing's challenging it. We're not getting any new evidence to contradict it. And you, you're you already kind of in this negative 
a habit of thinking. So you're just gonna just gonna get worse. <laughs> so we get really stuck and really um ingrained in that in that way of thinking and it doesn't do very much for our mental health and self-esteem and confidence. Yeah. Um, so once we can identify those different patterns of thinking, um I would maybe get people to start labeling those on their on their kind of practice sheets that they were maybe doing. So first of all working in noticing thoughts, but now I'm asking them to know to, to notice what type of thought was that? Um and, and it kind of puts a bit of distance between us and our, our thoughts as well, that these are kind of habits. Um, and then we're kind of moving towards thinking about challenging them. Um, but also mindfulness is, is linked into CBT as well. So it's not, sometimes it's just about ex- accepting and allowing thoughts to come and go. There are lots of thoughts that go through our head every single day. And if we were to give them all that much attention, um, you know, it's not, it's not really possible. So again, it goes back to that selective thing where we, we focus on certain certain ones. Yeah, like the mindfulness. So for me, um, something that really helped throughout my journey um, was like mindful meditation yeah. and journaling as well. But I really, really, really struggle with a mindful meditation. Like I really struggle <laughs> to sit and I, 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 ch- I test myself and say, like, I'm, you only have to do it three three times a week for 10 minutes. Like, I listen to the Daily Cam. That's that's what I should, like, here we go, what I should do. Oh, um, <laughs> see, I'm, I'm noticing it. Um, and I just find it so hard. I literally, I, I'm sitting there thinking, like, I'm focusing, I'm trying to focus on my breathing. And, and the funny thing is, like, I know how much better I feel when I do it. Like, I know how much better, like, the uh, the reduction of me something happening and me reacting automatically like if when I'm consistent with my meditation like I can notice a, such a big difference but it's actually getting consistent with it and I guess it's like I tell clients this all the time like you don't have to be perfect you just have to be consistent but I, I get the struggles that, that go through because when, when something feels really difficult to do you don't want to do it <laughs> Yeah, definitely. Uh-huh. And um, mindfulness is a tricky one uh, for, for people. And I think kind of, some people have this kind of eerie-fairy feel about mindfulness mm. and they're kind of put off by it uh, from the get-go. But it is wonderfully helpful for, for people. And it doesn't have to be, you know, sitting cross-legged, kind of, you know, meditating. It, it's about trying to introduce some sort of mindful practice into your day or using it as a tool. So, I do think there's a huge benefit in taking, you know, a very short period of time, whether it's no longer than five minutes, to try. And and what does happen is, like, your thoughts will invade. (laughs) Um, But it's it's about, you know, just identifying that, noticing it and turning to your breath as, like, the anchor. Um, But, yes, it's very difficult. Um, And I I do do that in session with people at times to try and practice and and get into the the, the habit of it. Um, but even things like mindfulness breathing or or kind of relaxed breathing are really helpful tools if people are you know to just pause and because we're very quick to you know have a thought or have an emotion and, and, and react on it but being able to just even take a couple of deep breaths that puts some you know distance between you and that thought and emotion to be able to you know respond in a different way Mm-hmm. So even if you're finding mindfulness tricky, 
um, as a kind of habitual practice, it, it's maybe about taking some of the aspects of it and using it in a kind of in a helpful way, like whether it's breathing or whether it's doing all sensory stuff is really helpful. So kind of grounding techniques where you're thinking about what you can see, hear, feel, taste, um, smell, that kind of thing. So for some people, when they're feeling overwhelmed by thoughts, it's about bringing you back to the present because we are forever in the future or in the past. We're never really very present. And then that that's probably why us as humans have so many problems. Like if you think about a dog, for example, they're always happy because <laughs> in that moment. But yeah. we are going, oh my God, I've got this deadline and what about this coming up? And I was so rubbish at that. And we tear things to shreds after we do it. Like, I can't believe I said that. And I look ridiculous. And it just, um, it's constant. So it's about really sometimes just bringing it back to like right here right now and and using those kind of mindful based techniques to to do that Mm -hmm. it's so true as well and like when you were when you were talking there I was sitting thinking like there's probably not a time in my day where there's not something stimulating me and I I think a lot of people listening will probably resonate with that as well like you've got social media you've got the tv you've got the like podcast the radio like there's always something going on uh-huh. um and I know for like for me like um I actually find it really difficult to sit in a room without noise like uh-huh. whether that's from the tv or even when I go a walk I have a podcast in my in my ears or I've got music in my ears like there's always something around about stimulating and I'd probably like do like would benefit a lot from not having anything but mm. like the thought even now I'm like Quite scary, yeah. a little bit antsy about it like actually thinking and but I suppose like is it something that you potentially say with clients like if something makes you feel uncomfortable you should lean into that like do the opposite action if you get the urge to run <laughs> hey, we're gonna we're gonna ask you to to pause and to, to face the fear so I always say but you're gonna you're probably not gonna like me very much because anytime you say something I'd be like oh my god that's great guess what we're gonna do <laughs> yeah but it, it's about you know how you introduce new things and, and the things that causes anxiety do you know it's about gradually doing it um and if, if even mentioning the idea of not listening to something or having background noise is quite anxiety provoking it's about right well how could we do that in a step-by-step way so it might be you know if I was doing something like that with a client whether it was about that or about any kind of anxiety it would be right if I asked you to do this out of 10, so one or zero being not anxious at all and 10 being the most anxious you've ever felt, where would you rate that? So if we rate a few different situations, we can then put that into a kind of plan of action. So we're going to start, probably wouldn't start if it's too low. So we kind of think about, you know, you've got your comfort zone, your challenge zone, eh, no, your, com- your comfort zone, your challenge zone and your overwhelming zone. We want to be in the challenge zone. We don't want to be you know, things that are kind of too comfortable. We, I, would, I would pick something maybe at least kind of a four out of 10, kind of five out of 10, where it's going to be challenging because not too challenging because we want it to be successful, but challenging enough that, you know, you get that kind of sense of uh, positivity when you when you achieve it and when you do something a bit different. So it's about how we approach change, I think, it is really, really important. Yeah, because you want to build up the confidence that person has that they're actually able to accomplish these things. And goal setting, people can 
either be quite avoidant of it or when they do do it, they set really unrealistic goals that, that don't go very well and then they're really unmotivated and mm. it feeds into their already existing sense of failure. So it's just, a, again, another vicious cycle. So goal setting, and sometimes it's about pulling people back even though they want to do something, you know, a bit bigger. It's actually, well, let's try it. You know, has this been working for you so far? How would you feel about giving my way of doing it a go and we'll just try it out? Maybe I'm rubbish and it'll not be right, but let's just try it and see, see what happens kind of thing. Um, and do you, when you do that, do you find that most people do come around? Like, Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. so early success is really important because I've got people coming to me who are, you know, have got really entrenched anxiety disorders and they've been really avoidant for a really long time and I'm, got to do a lot of kind of educational work around about why why we would want why would I be saying do the thing you know that you're avoiding doing you know so when people avoid they get negative reinforcement so if I say to you like uh, go and um, go to that gym class and they go oh my god can't do that 10 out of 10 anxiety scary so they don't go Mm -hmm. and their anxiety immediately drops and they're like wonderful I feel so much better but then I come back next week and I'm like do you go to that class why don't you try it next week boom their anxiety is back up at 10 and it goes this. so they end up in this kind of pattern where um it's what we call the avoidance trap so it's only short-term relief kind of long-term nothing's changing um so what we want to do is we explain that the the way to 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 treat this is to face your fears so I'm going to get you to do the thing and tolerate the discomfort and the anxiety. And I want you to just stay in it until the anxiety comes down. Um, so it would be going and, and staying and then, you know, noticing that that anxiety actually kind of does gradually come down. We can only stay in that high state of anxiety for, for a small amount of time and it does come down. And we get them to repeat the same step again and again until their anxiety reaches a, a manageable kind of low level and they're like Angie stop making me go to that or stop making me do that um because it's fine now it doesn't even bother me wonderful okay so what was the next thing and yeah, then we yeah. move on to that and, and and we're kind of almost we're retraining their brain that this is not something to set off that fight or flight anxiety response this is actually this is a safe place to be this is okay so we don't need that because your body has this inbuilt system that automatically sets off any time you are faced with danger so that could be danger as in you know the the a car swerves onto the pavement and you have to jump out of the way so that your fight or flight response is really helpful because it it means you can do stuff you maybe would never have imagined you could do you can jump out of the way and you're safe wonderful but what's happened now is that that fight or flight system is, is triggered by just perceived threats. So you could just be thinking, oh, what if everyone laughs at me? Well, that sets off that same that same fight or flight response. You get all those horrible symptoms of sweaty and hot and uh, kind of struggling with your breathing, heart racing. So you go, oh, I don't want to do that. <laughs> um, but it's about, you know, we need to kind of decondition that response. And the only way to do that is, is through exposure. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. And somebody I follow on um, social media is Dr Julie. Ah, yeah, she's good. Yeah, her book she's is fine. so good as well. Um, I've got it next to me actually. Oh no, oh no, do. What's I can't remember what's called. Um, Why has nobody told me this before? But uh-huh. she does. 
she does like an amazing um, visual thing and it's about pushing yourself out of that comfort zone and I think she's got like comfort zone in the middle and then I think she called did she call it stretch zone maybe don't know but it's basically like what you're just saying like pushing yourself out that comfort zone because you are never going to grow in your comfort zone you have to push yourself out of that and like in terms of um if you were giving somebody advice about going to a gym class would you like meet them in the middle like or can I meet them where they are so if they were like no that's just something that's like 10 out of 10 anxiety I do not want to do that would you maybe say things like well what would make it like a seven out of ten? And they'd be like, Well, if I went to a quieter class or uh-huh. mm-hmm. so people either completely avoid, so clear avoidance, or we have safety behaviors. So safety behaviors are little things that we do that reduce the, the level of anxiety. So, you know, it might be that um like you said, so they would only go with a friend or um, if somebody goes to, you know, um, an assembly hall or something like that, they only sit on the end seat because if I didn't sit in the end seat, then I would have had a panic attack and I wouldn't have been able to do it. But actually, by sitting in that end seat, and it takes away their kind of achievement because they go, I only managed it because I sat in the end seat, not because I could do it, <laughs> but because I sat in the end seat. So I would be wanting them to move to reduce these safety behaviours. So for the gym class uh, kind of scenario. So if someone's goal was, I want to be able to go to the gym, I want to be able to go to a new gym class, but that was feeling like really quite high on the anxiety scale for them. We would be looking at trying to break that down. So it might be, like you said, the type of class, and it really depends on the individual. So you can't prescribe it. You have to kind of brainstorm it with each individual because you'll find that you think maybe that would be easier, but for them it's different. So... Mm -hmm. Um, it could be you know the times you go it might be who you go with it might be the type of class it might be the instructor it might be so you start to brainstorm all these ideas you then ask you know um if I was to say about doing this exact this this one whether it's go, you know going to Heather's class or going to Angie's class or no Angie's class that would be a certain thing because she's quite scary <laughs> but actually um if I was to go to her she's pretty nice so that would probably be like a four out of ten so you would be kind of an easier step than me. So we would maybe think about that and maybe they, it would go be going with a friend to your class and it would be going without a friend to your class. So you find what the safety behaviours are. You leave them there initially, but what you're looking to do is to take them away because as long as they persist, they'll say, it was only okay because I went with my friend. It was only okay because... So it takes away their success. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But we all have safety behaviour. So it's really only for when somebody has anxiety that's getting in the way of their life, we would take them away just to demonstrate that ability to cope. But we all do it. We all walk down the street on our phone because we don't want to make eye contact with people. or you know, So we all have them and that's fine. But for the purpose of doing the piece of work together, it would be stripping it right back so that they really concretely learn to have confidence in themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's like you. Yeah because it's something that I do with people so I run like group programs um so everybody is in like a group but the actual feedback and like um the things that I would get them to do it's very individual because like you say like what works for one person will not work for another so for some like for some of my clients like their biggest struggle is 
nutrition and emotional eating. Somebody else is actually getting to the gym and doing the exercise, doing the workouts. Like, um, and like another, like for somebody else, it could be like, or like something that I hear quite a lot is like, I know how to eat healthily. Like I know that I should be exercising. I know that I should be prioritizing my health, but I just can't seem to do it. Yeah. Yeah. I guess it's like meeting each person like where they're at but why like why is it that some people are able to make changes more easily than others yeah I think I think there's lots of different different kind of uh, factors in that and I guess part of it you know we tend to start kind of in the the thought domain because if we can change uh, if we can make change to someone's thinking um that that's gonna make behavioral you know the motivation to change easier um you know if you were straight away to go and get somebody to do something often that's about people find hard because they, they're anxious about it they don't want to, to do the change um it, it's quite it's quite scary. So if we can kind of focus initially on doing some kind of pre-work on trying to work with somebody's perceptions and their thoughts, um, and that makes a kind of slight emotional change, then behavioural change becomes a bit easier to tackle. Mm-hmm. But behavioural change is so important because without that, you don't get lasting emotional change. So much comes from the behaviour because you learn so much from it. So it's really important that even when we do make a behavioural change that we take time to reflect on it. What do we learn from that? And how are we going to apply that going forward? Um, so, yeah, the, there's there's kind of thinking about people have different, you know, self-beliefs. And, and, and again, we kind of talked about that, you know, people's experience in life is going to impact how they see themselves and, and how they see others in the world. And that that's going to, you know, mean that we're all quite unique in our approach to, you know, how easy we find making change. But if we can do some work on the thoughts, it's definitely going to be helpful. But other factors are just things like, you know, people's support systems. How much support do they have around about them? What's their environment like? Uh, you know, environment's a huge, a huge thing um, that can really help or hinder our progress. Yeah. Goal setting is also something that um, is a factor within some of that. You know, how realistic are our goals can really impact on our motivation uh, on whether we can or, or can't achieve something. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard of. Um, have you heard of Pavlov's dogs? The the experiment that w- that was done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so so that that's a really interesting factor. So that's about. Um, so he was a psychologist who did some work on on what's called classical conditioning. So he kind of demonstrated that we can be a uh, conditioned. Uh, in certain ways so he did some work with dogs where he found that um, the, the dog kind of naturally it salivates when when presented with food <laughs> um, but what he found was that over time if he presented food with the sound of a bell um, so first of all the food made it salivate food and the bell there together made it salivate by repeating that again and again he was able to take away the food and then the bell on its own made them salivate so we can be conditioned to respond in certain ways. And I guess that can work in terms of kind of nutrition and things. We can become, you know, maybe we 
always have something to eat while we watch TV <laughs> or, or kind of things like that. So we become quite conditioned to behave in a particular way. So um, it works in anxiety as well. So our anxiety, um, our fight or flight response is the same as kind of salivating with food. It's an it's a unconditioned response. It's natural. It just happens. Um, but if we kind of become, say, uh, anxious about uh, going to the supermarket, over time, if we kind of continue to avoid that, we become anxious about not only going to the supermarket, we become anxious about going to on the bus and we become anxious then about going. So it, our anxiety can pair. And so we've kind of found that things can be conditioned. So it might be that people are conditioned to respond in particular ways. We can decondition that, if that makes sense. And again, that goes back to a lot of kind of behavioural change exposure um, to, to kind of adjust that kind of pattern that our brain has made that, you know, sitting down to watch TV means food. <laughs> that kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. Is, is it kind of, is it kind of like breaking a habit? Like, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, very much so. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we are quite habitual <laughs> creatures, and we kind of fall into into habits and patterns. And in our, our environment, will definitely impact that. If we can try and make life easier for ourselves, if we're trying to do something, if we're trying to make a behavioural change, if we trying to kind of keep it on nutrition because of your back there, but if you've always got certain things in the house. If you know you have, you know, a habit or if you've been conditioned to come in from work, go to the cupboard, <laughs> then you remove the things out of the cupboard. They no longer go there because then when you go in, you can't do it. So it is really about trying to decondition yourself. So maybe if that's your habit, right, you make a new habit. So when I come in, I'm going to actually go and do X, Y, and Z rather than allowing yourself to stay in that same behavioural pattern. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's that's like something that I do like say to clients, like so if they're in the habit of um like you say, like coming home from work and just going straight to the cupboard, like I think for some people, like so for some people, I'm thinking people who have like kids or like other live with other people, like sometimes actually completely removing the food is unrealistic. It's something that they can't do, but they can move the food. They can put it in a cupboard that's like they can put it somewhere else. They can put it like in a um like in a box that they can't like that's not see through. So the, there's not that trigger there. Yeah. Um, and so it's like removing um or like just making a little bit more difficult to do it because I think a lot of the times when it is a habit like your automatic response is to come home and go to the cupboard you're in the cupboard before you've even thought about it uh-huh. so I suppose it's like can you change the environment like great let's change things about like so you then you you create a little bit of space where you're like oh my gosh why am I in the cupboard like what's going on here um and then you've got that time to react which I suppose like mindfulness and that sort of work would also help uh-huh. Like, so anything that can can break because you know we're very emotionally driven people you know we feel it and we do it <laughs> and and the thinking gets lost somewhere in amongst that so if we can if we can create some sort of distance some sort of you know small gap that gives us the opportunity to think what have I been learning how do I apply this you know what 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 are my goals um and yeah so any of those kind of things whatever you can do to you know, first of all, it's all about 
I would say even for what you're doing, like taking that aspect of the diary type thing. So I would do a diary around situations, feelings, how your thoughts and then your behaviour. I kind of, that, that's around about being a bit of a detective and seeing what's going on. But doing that for you and the work you're doing, you'd be able to notice, you know, what were you, what did you do? So if they kept going to a certain place or then you can pick up on that and think, like, what can we do that's going to break this or make that more difficult to do or interrupt it in such a way? Because it's the same with self-harm. It's not really any different to that. So we would be trying to put some distance in between that where we can use an alternative strategy and we, we can give it some thinking time before kind of impulsively fulfilling the behavioural urge that we get. Mm-hmm. to do these things and I guess like what you were saying before like I love that analogy about the motorway and then trying to have like a little side road because <laughs> I say with clients when, when it comes to like um like building new habits it's like walking through a grassy field and you don't have a path yet like <laughs> so it obviously to start with when you're trying to make that path it is going to be so difficult to do like <laughs> and you think I can't like I can't do this it's too hard but you keep going you keep going because I think a lot of people get, get potentially put off because of how hard it feels at the beginning yeah. but over time and just with that reinforcing of that like that behavior the path gets like well trodden and it then becomes like the easier path to go on like so I think a lot for a lot of people like knowing that yes it might feel difficult to start with like let's not make it unrealistic you are going to struggle potentially like to, to keep doing this but that doesn't mean to say it's going to feel like this forever like it, it will get easier like further down the line yeah we need to be really realistic this is gonna be this is gonna be rough <laughs> this, yeah. this is not gonna be very easy um but it's again about having really good goals why are we bothering why why am i putting myself through this misery you know what 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 is the thing that's keeping me going? What can I bring myself back to every time that I start doubting it? Because you're going to doubt it and you're going to fall off every now and then. And that's mm-hmm. fine. That's normal. We all do it. But it's about why am I going to bother trying to bring myself back to it? So the goals are so key and you need to have really good goals. You know, what would it mean for you? What would it look like if you were doing things differently? What would be different in how you thought, how, how you were feeling and, and what you would be doing with your day? What would be different? um so so that's really 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 key um but yeah so I think I we need to be honest it's not it's not going to be easy but I kind of come back to the goals does does really kind of help yeah. to keep you there definitely like because I did like a little um like kind of mindset series and the first thing I kicked off with was realistic expectations because a lot of people when they first start like dieting or like an exercise regime and stuff like they have these really unrealistic expectations and it's not to like dishearten them and say like you're like it's not to say you're not going to achieve this but it's like well you might achieve this but see that six eight week time frame you've got like make it a year yeah uh so it's about long term short term kind of medium medium goals kind of thing again it's about bringing it back to what brought you here what have you been doing so far and where has that been getting you? So what do you think about if we tried doing it a wee bit differently? Um, because that's been your goal. The goal is always, oh, I want to lose all this weight and I want to do that. But how has that been going for you so far? So mm-hmm. why don't we just try doing it a wee bit differently? Do you know, what is there to lose if we, if we try a different approach? I love that as well. Like, 
because a lot of the times it's about relearning. So mm-hmm. if you've if you've got somebody who has potentially came from a background of yo-yo dieting, yeah. um, like and on very unrealistic or unsustainable diets. Like for them to actually, so for like, I know, like, I know when when I'm telling people, like, it's about long term change, it's about building habits. Like, I know in their head, they're probably thinking, that's really boring. Like, can you just give me like a meal plan and can you just give me really low calories so that I can just get there quicker? I'm like, no, 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 that's not just not what I'm going to do. And it's just exactly what you say. Like, how has that worked for you before? Like, because I work with a lot of people who who will, and, and I think, again, being realistic, every single person is going to come up with multiple bumps in their journey that you have to work through. And one of those bumps is going to be, like, so this week in check-ins, I don't think I had one check-in that somebody didn't have a wobble with the scales. And, like, if you've got, like if you're seeing that as like a, a bump in the road every single time, like you are going to go back. Like if you think that because the scales haven't been down, that means that you have failed or like things aren't working. Like, That's when it comes back to your thoughts again and, and, and your perception, do you know, how any one of them that stands on the scale when it isn't the number they hoped for, it doesn't matter. That that's just, The situation doesn't matter. It's how you think about it. Mm-hmm. So if you can change your thought in that moment from the automatic, you know, oh, I'm useless, I didn't, I knew I hadn't done it right, or God, Heather's going to be thinking this, or she's going to be disappointed to, right, okay, I'm just going to do a wee bit of reflection. I'm going to reflect on this and, and see maybe what, what's going wrong, or, you know, maybe I had quite a hard week this week. I think it's maybe a bit, um, <laughs> it's fair enough that actually I didn't do it week you know it's about a bit of self-compassion as well that you know sometimes again our, our expectations of ourselves if things happen during our week that you know weren't accounted for can we if we were to say that to a friend so if you had a friend on the same journey and you know they are um had a big meeting at work that went terribly wrong and their their car broke down that week or, or their you know their daughter failed their exams at school or so, all these kind of things what would you say to them if they were like you know Oh, I, all I can think about is how you know I've put on weight this week, and I, I'm so ashamed of myself. Like, what would you say to them? So, people find it easier to think about it externally <laughs> at times rather than, than about themselves. Yeah, absolutely. Like, and I think as well, like just talking about the scales, like it's like obviously, like you say, it's like your perception of that number. Like, and I think a lot of people put a lot of like their self-worth on that number and I, I guess like I can completely understand a lot of people who have maybe came from Weight Watchers or like Slimming World and the full um like the only marker of progress mm. is the skills um yeah. so for me it's like it's 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 one educating people on the scales like so if we're just talking solely about scales there's like so many things that can actually make it fluctuate like but again it's just one it's just one little piece of the full journey and like for me it's like take giving like are making people go back to why why did you do this and I don't know like for when you're working with, with people like I, I like to get people to ask or to think about their why but ask it like three times so they'll be like oh why did you start this oh because I wanted to lose weight like well that's not like no that's not your why like why did you want to lose weight yeah. oh I wanted I want to lose weight because I want to be able to um like play with my kids easily like more easily like, I want to be able to run after them 
okay, so why do you want to do that? Like, oh, because I actually want to, I want to be around for a very long time for them or I want to be like the best role model for them or like I want to, to for them not to think they'll be about food and exercise that I thought about food and exercise. Like, and you're like, well, that's actually, that's your why? Like to go back, at, like to to peel away the, the layers, I suppose, and get to the deeper part. Definitely, that's exactly, we kind of call it the downward arrow technique. So you kind of get your surface level kind of thoughts, but as you kind of pick away in, in, in therapy, you kind of get the deep-rooted beliefs about yourself so that I'm not good enough or, you know, I'm a failure. Or, um, these kind of really negative, what we call core beliefs, are usually at the, at the kind of the bottom end of, of what's going on for, for, for people. And I guess if people are coming to you for all around about their nutrition and things, but they're, if they're, they're thinking that the route to happiness is is through solely that that that's where people are potentially going wrong and actually it's maybe not solely the the work on their nutrition and their fitness but it's about their mental health that's where it's all going wrong um is that you know you've pinned happiness on making changes to externally you know what, what you look like but you're really neglecting yourself and your, your mental health within that you're you're being really cruel to yourself and, and your approach to this. Like people usually approach dieting in a really cruel way that, you know, they're really hard on themselves and I'm not doing enough and I shouldn't be eating this and this is it. But mental like it's the mental health part of the core that is the that, that you know, if if they don't change that, then I don't know how successful it's going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, which I think is what you're saying you've you're you're kinda of touching on more now is that actually there's a real core of mental health that, that at the bottom of this yeah I'm like oh no nobody can see me in the podcast but I'm like nodding enthusiastically because yeah. it's like everything you're saying here I'm like yes absolutely yeah. like a lot of people come to me and they're like I'll be happy when I weigh x yeah and it's like stripping that back it's like well one why is why are you telling me this number like where did this number come from and a lot of times it's like oh well that's that's how much I weighed when I went like my first girl's holiday or when I got married I'm like well it wasn't the weight it was the circumstances it was how you felt in that situation like that's why you were so happy it's got nothing to do with that number on the scales so it, it it's a it's a really fine line and fine balance to be like great well let's move away from like and I, I, I always get these mixed up like an ob- objective value that's like a number isn't it and subjective is like a feeling <laughs> I get mixed up all the time god no I can't even think <laughs> well if it move move people away from like the the number yep. and to think about other things like how are they feeling how are they performing in the gym like how is their mood how is their anxiety like what are their stress levels like but these are so subjective, like, and that they're harder for people to actually get their head head around, like tracking, and they're not as sexy. I think if you come back like that, if you come back to you know goals and think about thoughts, feelings, and behaviors, so rather than you know I've been this number, you know, let's take all of that away. It's about feeling better, but that's not. We don't like kind of goals and the feeling domain you know what I feel less anxious what I feel happier what does that mean what what would be different in how you were thinking about things if you were if you were happier what would be different in how you were spending your time what would be different in 
to know um, who you were socialising with, what you were eating, what you were, you know, what your sleep looked like, like what, how would I know if you woke up tomorrow and you were just all of a sudden happier, what would be the first thing that you noticed that would indicate, oh, you know, things are all better? So it's really trying to tease that out for people and ensure that it's not just about, you know, that that number on a, on a scale. It's about, you know, you've kind of paired that or <laughs> with happiness. But actually, you know, let's explore that a wee bit more. What what, what does happiness mean to you? Mm-hmm. And I bet you if we do that, it comes down to a lot more than just being slim. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely, and I, I like. I think that's like when you're talking about like that. Like it, it triggered a thought about like health and health being like multifactorial. So a lot of people open being quote unquote healthy as being a smaller version of themselves. Uh-huh. But to, sometimes to become that smaller version of yourself, you negatively impact your health in every other aspect. So yeah. like your mental health, your spiritual health, like your emotional health, like all of these things are negatively impacted just by you thinking about becoming smaller. And do you know what? Like, I really, I get, especially people who have grown up, like, in the, the 90s and the, the noughties, like, and who have been surrounded with diet culture and thigh gaps and this messaging, like, I get why people oh, yeah. believe this. Or That's, again, this. like, your early experiences. That, that feeds into all this stuff that you're exposed to. Do you know that we make sense of the world through what do you know we're presented with, mm-hmm. and if we're constantly presented with this is how it should be, then that starts to kind of take over in, in your own mindset, and everything else becomes not good enough. Yeah, I, I've honestly, which I've read so <laughs> so much, but I feel like we're like. <laughs> I feel like we've probably covered so so much and I think it's like we're reaching a time where it's like a good time to finish up even though I literally could speak to you for the rest of the evening (laughs) (laughs) so if people are like wanting to reach out to you um ask you questions or like get in touch like where can they find you um so if um they're looking to um kind of any kind of mental health support, I would say the the Aristos um website, which I can I can give you all the details and you can maybe post them with you when you're posting the podcast or something. Yeah, I'll put I'll, I'll put everything that you tell me. I'll put it in the links in the in the show notes for people to be able to go and find you. Um, and I do also have a you know Instagram and, and Facebook account linked to the Aristos Mental Health and Wellbeing Service. So if if people want to message at all, and maybe that's kind of the best a uh, place to do so so I'll kind of maybe share about the podcast and things and uh, I'm more than happy if people want to message me on there mm-hmm. uh, if they have any questions um or if you seem to get loads of questions you can you can get back in touch with me <laughs> I'm happy enough to I uh, I think I've all got lots of questions on yeah. so <laughs> maybe we could do another one because I could yeah. your brains about this topic for <laughs> For hours and hours. <laughs> um, and you kind of touched on it briefly before, but you are you have run like group CBT classes as well, haven't you? Yeah, so I've done um a, a kind of group based program on CBT. So I can advertise that not just people who are struggling with their own mental health, but anybody who just wanted to learn a bit about CBT can be so useful in so many aspects of your life. And um, or people who are maybe worried about a friend or a relative or 
Um, maybe people who kind of work in areas that would maybe be useful to know a wee bit more about mental health and how to manage it. So it's not really just for, you know, people who are really struggling with their mental health. You can be there for all sorts of uh, reasons. And it's kind of more educational based, um, kind of teaching you about all of this. Um, but I'd run it over, I think I did five sessions for the first group. So kind of introducing you to the model, looking at the thoughts, the feelings, the behaviours and then ending uh, therapy was kind of the last session which really pulling everything together um, but I think if I was doing it again I was looking at maybe merging it into maybe three longer sessions so that it was maybe easier for people to, to come but I'm very flexible so if people are interested um, I can take suggestions on board really I'm pretty, pretty happy to, to do what suits most people if there's an interest Mm -hmm. Well, I, I've learned so, so much, like so much. Um, so I would definitely be interested in that course. <laughs> um, but thank you so much for your time. And I'm going to leave all of like your details and stuff in the show notes if anybody wants to, wants to get in touch. But I really appreciate you coming on and um, like sharing your insights, your expertise and your time with us. So thank you so, so much. Thank you so much for having me. It's been really good. <laughs> right, I will speak to you soon. Okay, bye.